It is the Colby Daniels Podcast. Colby Daniels, Will Brewer. It is fight week. And Will, I know we did an episode last week. I know we talked about fight card last week. We will also review that fight card. But we have pay-per-view energy this week, buddy. Pay-per-view energy. It is uh, It is a good Wednesday. Absolutely. It is a great Wednesday. Uh, pay-per-view Saturday coming up. So, I mean, I'm amped up. I, I mean, I was so amped up. I mean, I texted you the, uh, yesterday about uh, changes and stuff. So, I'm sure we'll get into that. But yes. I was, I've been so amped up on these pay-per-view cards that I'm just – I'm geeked up for this Saturday, man. By the way, shout out to the UFC. I For those that may not have listened last week, if you want to go back and hear my rant – then you're welcome to do that. But clearly, the powers that be listened to my rant. They decided, you know what? He's right. There is no need for a 6 p.m. Central Time main card start time. So we are back where we should be. We are living right. 9 o'clock Oklahoma time kickoff for the main card. I will say the prelims are loaded as well. So there is, there's going to be multiple viewing options for me over the weekend. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State both kick off at like 6 o'clock. So I will be paying attention to, obviously, the two teams that, that I cover for work here in this state. But uh, I will absolutely have the prelims on one of the three screens that I will be watching. And, uh, you know, hopefully by that time, those things are winding down. Nine o'clock main card start, and we are ready to rock and roll. Well, first of all, let me say it's a great problem to have three screens. And you'll be able to watch all three of those at the same time. The only problem is with, with only two eyes. Yes. <laughs> I'm not sure you'll be able to watch them all at once. But... Uh, the prelims are loaded. Um, OU, OSU, of course, that's always um, good to watch those teams play. So uh, I'm excited for this entire card. It's loaded from top to bottom. Even, uh, even the early prelims, there's some uh, really yeah. talented young prospects on the, on the early prelims, too. And that's going to lead right into the, to the prelims and into the main card. So it's going to be a fun night of fights. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that, that generally, if, if I have to, for work purposes, if I have to cover a football game and it's up against, say, UFC Fight Night, Anthony Smith, Ryan Spann. That's a pretty easy one because I can say, you know oh, what, yeah. I'm going to just watch the, the fight card later because I probably have a decent chance of avoiding the outcomes versus the other way around. Like, there's no way I'm avoiding the OU or OSU outcome before I'm able to rewatch it. There's zero chance of that with a pay-per-view card, right? Like, there's no way I'm going to, if I, if I wanted to try to watch it after the fact, there's no way I'm going to be able to be any, any way involved in social media and avoid any of the, the outcomes of a pay-per-view card. And e- even um, when you're watching the game, there's going to be um, stuff scrolling on the screen about uh, this guy beat this guy right, at right. UFC 266. Right. So for a pay-per-view, there's no way you can avoid that. On a fight night, uh, you'll get maybe uh, a, a, a notification here or there like every two hours or so about you know the main event. But uh, other than that, there, there's yeah. not really much that really gets covered on, on these fight nights. Um, but when it comes to pay-per-view, everyone's uh, trying to watch. Everyone's trying to uh, keep up with it. There's so much stuff going on now with college football and stuff. So um, the notifications are going to be coming in uh, yeah. on many, many platforms. <laughs> I follow a lot of MMA Twitter accounts. And even being on Twitter last Saturday night, I didn't have a single fight spoiled. <laughs> yeah, you you text me and you were like, I'm going to try to uh, watch these games and I'm going to put the fight off um, and I'm going to watch it later. Yeah. Hopefully it doesn't get spoiled. But I was like... I really don't think it's gonna get spoiled. I mean, yeah. Anthony Smith and Ryan and 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 Ryan Spann, that's a good main event. But really, who's really itching to 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 cover that fight? So uh, I'm I know you got to watch it later, and uh, there were some great college football games on uh, Saturday night. So yeah, it all worked out. It, it worked out well, and uh, we will we will review that fight card in a moment. By the way, so our head to head scoring, I'll just go ahead and and let you know. 
plus two for you on Saturday night. So you won both of the fights that we were on the opposite side of. So your lead goes from plus nine to plus 11 now. You have an 11-point lead in our overall standings. But we have decided that we are going to uh, switch up the scoring format for pay-per-view cards the rest of the year, right? Yeah, man, look, uh, just I was laying down looking at these uh, these fight cards that are coming up, and I just didn't feel like we we should do the regular scoring system. Like, some of these prelims, are, like, they're so good that we, we have to talk about them. We have to make a yes, pick on them. Agreed. Uh, some of these main card fights, they're not just one-point fights, you know what I'm saying? Like, these main events, these aren't just three-point fights. So uh, I was like, you know, maybe we should uh, add some prelims in there because the prelims are so good. Let's up the points uh, on the main card and on the... Uh, uh, and on the uh, main event and the title fights, so uh, we're upping it up, man. All right, so we are going to do title fights and main events, which on pay-per-view, their main events are title fights. But all the title fights are going to be worth five points. Any main card pay-per-view fights are going to be three points. And then we're going to add, because there are so many great prelim fights over the next few months on all of these pay-per-view cards, we're going to add our favorite three prelim fights worth a point to the mix. So they're still going to get, so we're going to have, I mean, it could be up to nine fights that we pick one for any prelim fight, three points a piece for any main card fight and five points a piece for any main event slash title fight. So your, your 11 point lead could, could disappear uh, really quickly, or this thing could just turn into like a 67 point lead overnight. <laughs> so I'm also aware that that is a, a very real possibility given your current hot streak. Yeah, high risk, high reward, or uh, could just completely go to shit. So there you go. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it's, uh, I'm hoping it works out in my favor. But you know, I decided to up the ante a little bit. Uh, the lead, I wanted, I wanted to feel like I'm under pressure. So uh, here we are, man. By the way, as we record on this Wednesday, has there been a an official update on Dan Hooker, um, Hack Parast? I actually saw a uh, a tweet from his manager Ali Abdelaziz that said all signs are pointing towards uh, Nasrat being able to fight. Okay, so, awesome. Um, he's saying um, everything's pointing in that direction, but it's not official yet. But um, it's looking like it's going to come down to like the last yeah. hour type thing. Like um, we'll know for sure probably tomorrow if it's going to all work out. But Ali did say all signs are pointing towards him being able to fight. So for those that are unaware of this situation, I guess it was maybe a little over a week ago. Dan Hooker tweeted. And he's having travel issues, can't get out of the country because of COVID protocols and all that. So he tweeted that he's having issues, might not be able to make his his fight, and then apparently that gets worked out. Then, like a week later, Nazrat tweets basically the same thing, like, I, I, I'm not going to be able to travel, I can't make my fight. And his, his situation has really taken a, a lot longer than I think Dan Hooker's did, to the point that two days ago, following the, um, uh, who was it on, uh, on Saturday? Um, Sarukian. Uh, Sarukian calls out Dan Hooker, right, on Saturday night after his win. So two days ago, Dan Hooker is throwing out the challenge to Sarukian for this Saturday night. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what's going (laughs) on? And so I start digging into it, and it sounds like the overall view is that that it's pretty pessimistic as to whether or not Nasrat is going to make it for Saturday's fight. Then, apparently, I guess Sarukian's camp, there's some rumors that he has a, a rib injury and wouldn't be able to go on Saturday. Then, like, the next day, Dana's saying that he thinks there's a there's a chance that Nazareth's going to be able to make it anyway. So, it's kind of been a wild roller coaster ride uh, over the last couple of weeks with just that bout alone. Oh, man. I was listening to an interview uh, Dan Hooker did, and 
his sense of urgency to have this fight happen on this Saturday night's card, it's it's sky high because if it were to fall a week later, he would not be able to go back home for a year. So yeah. he literally he literally has to fight Saturday and he has to be back uh, on the, the next available flight to get back home because if not, there's so many uh, protocols uh, in New Zealand yeah. that uh, he's not going to be able to make it home for at least, it could be four months, it could be up to a year. So he, he wants to get back home to his family, and he, but he also wants to fight, he wants to provide. So he needs to make this happen on this Saturday. So if Nasrat wasn't able to fight, he's he's already going to be here. So he was going to try to get any lightweight anybody. that's going uh, yeah, to step up and fight him. So anybody. That, I mean, originally he wanted a, a ranked guy. Uh, the the matchmaker said that all of them are tied up or injured. Well, he said, well, give me an unranked guy. So he literally called out any unranked fighter. Um, and then Nasrat and uh, Sarukian or, and some of those guys answered. Nasrat gets the fight. Um, but his sense of urgency to get this fight to happen on Saturday, it's sky high. And he needs, to, he needs it to happen. For both of these guys, for Dan Hooker and Nasrat, you really want this fight to happen. Yeah, absolutely. For all the travel issues that both of them are going through. And then, of course, uh, Nasrat's mother. Uh, my condolences go out to him. Uh, you really just want to see this fight happen uh, for both of these guys because both of these guys are good guys and you just want to see them go out there and uh, and fight. Well, and I think it really just kind of reveals the humanity of you know the sport and the participants because I, I didn't hear that Dan Hooker interview, but I've heard pretty much every interview he's done since the beginning of, of COVID. And you know we kind of take it for granted that these fights taking place in Las Vegas, like if, if you are in Texas, you jump on an airplane, you go fight, you go home, and like that's the end of it. Like it's You're obviously training, but as far as what you have to go through, it's, I mean, even with COVID, other than having to get tested and all the things that they have to do on site, like, there's not really any change. Dan Hooker literally, like, loses months of his life from his family. Like, they have so many protocols as far as, like, him getting home and how long he has to wait before he can even see his, like, he has a daughter that's, like, three or four years old. Like, to, to have to, like, get on a plane, go fight, and then, like, you know that just from the protocols... Once your fight is over, your work is done, but you still can't even step foot in your house for like three months. That's insane, and it's a massive sacrifice, but it's the way that he provides for his family. So it's, you know, it's a tough deal, and I have just unbelievable respect and uh, sympathy for the position that, that guys like Dan Hooker are in, for sure. Yeah, man, it's crazy. I mean, we do take for granted um, the, you know, the freedoms and everything that we have here, um, because in, in New Zealand and other parts of the world, like Dan Hooker can't step out of his house. So like even to be able to train, it's uh, um, it's such a roller coaster for him to even get training sessions in because he can't even step out of his house and go to the gym. Um, his coach, uh, Eugene Berryman, who is Israel Adesanya's coach, they train at the same uh, at the same gym. He uh, had this idea to get all the fighters to stay at the gym uh, at City Kickboxing throughout their whole lockdown. But the police came and basically kicked him out the gym. So everyone had to go back to their house. So Dan Hooker, for these last three or four weeks of, of his camp, has been basically in his house um, trying to train and get ready for this fight. I couldn't imagine yeah. uh, on a, for a pay-per-view fight, um, you, you're coming off of two losses, and your training situation is just up in the air. Like, I couldn't imagine. And, yeah. and he still has to do uh, go through all these loopholes just to get to, uh, to make weight. It's going to be crazy, but you want to see this happen for him, and then you want to see him get home at a, at a good time because – his in his last fight uh, after he lost to Chandler, I think he was in quarantine for for months. Like, yeah, yeah, he was in quarantine for like two to three months, and yeah. he couldn't even uh, go back to uh, go back home. So, uh, you want to see him get back to his family as soon as possible. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, man. It's pretty brutal. You have to go to work. You have to do your job. You have to make money to provide for your family. But you know, it's it's such a weird dynamic. I mean, think about just having to go to your office, do a day's work, and then like 
well, <laughs> now you can't go home for three months. Like, <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. It's and insane. then it, what makes it even worse, like. Um, you would see those videos of him and there would be that, uh, the chain fence in the way and his daughter's on the other side of it. Yeah. And he's just like so close to her, but he can't like touch her yeah. or hug her or nothing oh. like that. Like that's gut wrenching right there, yeah. man. So you just want to see him get back as soon as possible. Yeah, for sure. I also uh, saw a tweet today that apparently Nick Diaz, uh, is, I'll have to go back and find the wording that was used. I, it gave me the impression that, uh, Nick Diaz has basically opted out of doing any media availability for this UFC fight week for UFC 266. For for anybody that's not familiar with uh, Nick Diaz, this is not anything that's surprising. This isn't anything new. Uh, Nick Diaz hates to do media uh, as it is. And if there was a chance for him to get out of it, he was going to take it. He was He's already kind of uh, awkward when it comes to doing interviews anyways. Like uh, his eyes kind of go uh, wander around places. He doesn't really look at the person who's interviewing him. So, um, with that, with that being said, he's he's pretty awkward anyway. He, he hates doing the media. Uh, I I heard that there's a press conference. Um, who knows if he shows up? Who knows if he says much? But um, yeah, this isn't surprising if you know about Nick Diaz. Yeah. So I've had I, I got to meet Nick Diaz one time, and I, I'll just tell you to share a space with Nick Diaz. It's a very intimidating thing. <laughs> that is, and I'm I, like I'm not even just talking about because he's a great fighter or. Like, obviously, the fact that, like, physically he could just kick my ass. I'm, j- I'm saying, like, literally the demeanor and the, the like, he, his, you, you sense that his soul is angry at the world and that, like, if you look at him wrong, he might break your jaw. Yeah, right. Not kidding you. I that is a that, scary I get- dude. I get those same vibes when I just see him on camera, so I couldn't imagine yeah. what it's like to be in the same vicinity as him. Yeah, so... Right after he had been suspended, he was in Dallas at uh, whatever UFC number it was when uh, Johnny Hendricks beat Robbie Lawler for the belt. So Chris Weidman had a VIP after party at a hotel that night in Dallas following that pay-per-view card. So I, I was able to uh, finagle a my way in and get an invite to this VIP party. So I, I get to the hotel. And I'm taken to the elevator and uh, I walk in the elevator and the elevator doors are about to shut. And then all of a sudden the bellhop guy like stops the doors, they open back up. And then I see Nick Diaz, which is like, holy shit, that's Nick Diaz. Right. Obviously, again, serving his suspension at this point in time, um, maybe or may or may not have been doing exactly what he was suspended for at that, that time. (laughs) Uh, and so he gets on the elevator and, uh, I, I was on the, there were a couple other people and introductions were made. I'm, it's kind of fuzzy cause it's been a while and that was a wild night. <laughs> but if I remember correctly, Nick Diaz never spoke on the entire elevator ride, elevator ride up to this top floor of this, this hotel where the party was. Uh, although introductions were made to everybody that like, you know, there was a handler there and some other people and like never spoke a word, but I'm telling you, man, to be on an elevator, with Nick Diaz and those eyes, like literally like laser beams cutting into everything he looked at. I was like, this guy could kill us all right now. Kill us all. Yeah, I don't think that there could have been a worse time to to be in the in the presence of Nick Diaz after yeah. a suspension like that uh, to be suspended as long as he was uh, slated to be suspended for. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can you know, he loves mixed martial arts, but for him to be suspended for that yeah. long. So that couldn't have been the uh, there couldn't have been a worse time to, to meet Nick Diaz. But I wonder, did you shake his hand? Did you get a handshake out? No, of him? no, no. 
<laughs> if and he had tried to shake my hand, I would have, but uh, I just kind of gave him the like, what's up, man? Right, right. Nod. Yeah, 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 that was it. Good, yeah, yeah. I'm not kidding, uh, man. I don't know that I've ever been that intimidated in my entire life of anything. Yeah, I mean, just the, his his facial expressions, like when you uh, see him on camera, they they put they have some shots of Nick Diaz when he's been coming to these fights, and you see him smile. It's almost like, yeah, whoa, yeah. I, I didn't know Nick Diaz could smile. Like, where does this even come from? Like, uh, he his personality, it, it's just so. Yeah, I I, I get you, man. Yeah. I couldn't imagine like being in his presence at that time. Yeah, I will say at one point during the after party. Like I said, like I, I don't remember back then like how long it had been since the suspension. Uh, I, do, I don't think it had been like a long time. It was relatively fresh, I believe. Uh, it, it had been within a year. I know that. Like it had been within a year of that going down. But he is on the rooftop at this party. And like I said, may or may not have been uh, doing exactly what he was suspended for. And I remember this group of people kind of walk by him, obviously knowing who he is. And they're like... Somebody is doing something. <laughs> and I was like, it's time to go. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he yeah, like, he because he overheard them, you know, you know how people are like. Right, right. right. And I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh, not good. <laughs> and uh, the two females he had with him, um, I, I if I remember right, like they, they kind of like settled the situation and uh, it, it all ended up being okay. But I was like, this guy... It's going to harm somebody here. Yeah. And it, I just mean just that because imagine- his, his demeanor and just the aura around him was like scary. Just imagine if those two, if those two women weren't there. I mean, they really could have got ugly for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler, man, this is going to be an awesome fight. I, I can't wait for this one. All right. You want to, you want to rewind to last Saturday night? Let's rewind, man. All right. Anthony Smith, Ryan Spann in the main event of UFC Fight Night, Smith versus Spann. Uh, we were both on the Anthony Smith side of things. I thought this was going to be a really violent fight. Um, Anthony Smith, I think we both picked Anthony Smith because he's been through it all, right? It was just an experience thing for me that really made me feel pretty confident about him in this matchup. And uh, once again, you know, I go back to those two fights that Anthony Smith lost last year to Glover and, and Rockich, and and I'll admit, like I, I thought that uh, I thought that the decline was on its way, and he once again has proved me and a lot of other people absolutely wrong. Yeah, man, uh, Anthony Smith looked ac- absolutely incredible uh, against Ryan Spann, and on this whole uh, three fight winning streak. Uh, he seems to have found the passion. Um, if he had lost it, I mean, it, it all seems to be coming back together. He's gotten better. He's gotten bigger. Um, uh, he's gotten a lot better with his striking. Uh, you know, he's been hurting guys. Jimmy Crute, he, he uh, looked really good with his jab and then the leg kicks. But then uh, with, what he did with Ryan Spann, uh, if you were to tell me that Anthony Smith would be the one to uh, rock Ryan Spann on the feet, I would... I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't believe you. I would think like the, his best uh, path to victory is to take this to the ground and not even yeah. mess with the striking because Ryan Spann is very explosive. But when those exchanges happened, Anthony Smith was the one that was getting the better of him, and uh, uh, rocked Ryan Spann. And then uh, those jabs that he was hitting him with, and then it just looked like Ryan Spann's legs was just <laughs> weren't there, and he was just a couple shots away from going down. And then you know, I heard a crazy stat that out of Anthony Smith's 36 wins, 34 of them have been finishes. So Anthony Smith is a guy who, when he sees, when he uh, smells blood, he goes after it, and he, uh, no matter if it's a knockout, TKO, or if it's uh, getting a submission, he finishes fights. So uh, Anthony Smith's been through it all, man. And you know, 
it's it's easy for us to say that uh, he probably was on the decline when he lost to Glover and he lost to Rackage because of how those fights went. But we have to remember everything that was going on at that time in his life. Yeah, like, for sure. For the, sure. The, the pandemic, for one, and then all of the crazy training situations that could come with that. But you got to think about back to that home invasion and what that could do to to a man like having yeah, to yeah. fight for your life not only not only your life but your your family's lives you know his little girls and his wife so um you you don't know and, and his fight was just like two or three weeks after that so you never know um what where his mind was at that time but it seems like now he finally has it all uh back together his mind is right uh he's getting better uh he's getting bigger and everything so um and now he's calling uh calling out rackage again so We'll see how that goes for him, but you know Anthony Smith is back, and he's back at the top of the division. How about the uh, the after fight uh, activities that took place? Man, you know Anthony Smith is a really well spoken, well mannered guy, and all the in all the lead ups uh, interviews to this fight, he kind of talked uh, respectful, but you could tell that there was a little something extra. But you didn't think it was like that. Like when this fight ended, Anthony Smith was. Like standing over him and talking all this shit, I'm like, whoa, who is this? Like, right. this is the guy I'm used to. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, uh, you know, I guess Ryan Spann uh, said a lot, and his coach said a whole lot of things about Anthony Smith, uh, how, how he was going to get his ass whooped and all types of stuff. And you know, Anthony Smith's been around the game for a while. He just wants to be respected, man. And uh, he definitely, if he didn't have it before, he definitely has Ryan Spann's respect now. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think Ryan Spann also like. Uh, Definitely showed that in the aftermath of, of all of that that took place. But uh, sign me up for the Rockets rematch because I, I I think that was just a really bad spot for Anthony Smith. I thought he came back too soon anyway after the Glover fight and the beating that happened in that Glover fight. And like you said, there was so much stuff happening outside the octagon in his personal life as well. Um, I, I would like to see Anthony Smith try and avenge that one. Yeah, man, that's absolutely the fight to make because you have to look at the the position that Rockets is in. Um, he wants to fight for the title, but, you know, you got Glover and Jan coming up, and then you have Yuri, who's next, no matter what. So, um, Rakic's last performance doesn't get you a title shot. You have to fight again. And um, Anthony Smith has worked his way back up to that position. So, uh, you know, if I'm Rakic, I'm taking that fight. It seems like he's down for it. He even said, um, uh, I'm free in December. Yeah. So, that's this is the fight to make, man. Anthony Smith's worked his way back up in this position. He fought the young guys, the young-ranked guys, uh, guys who are on their way up and everything. So, um, I think we'll see a different outcome uh, because, like you said, uh, so much is going on in Anthony Smith's life at that time. He came back too soon, and he took a beating from Glover. Yeah, uh, came back early. I, I mean, when you take a beating like that, you want to get it back. And of course, he came back too soon, and uh, Rakic put it on him. But you know, just going off of Rakic's last performance, if he comes out and he's not aggressive like he was against Santos, Anthony Smith has a good chance to win that. So um, I would like to see what that what that fight looks like, and it looks like we're going to get it. Yeah. I, I hope so. And and to get him back in the octagon relatively quickly, uh, Rockage I think thought beating Tiago Santos was going to put him in a title situation. And look, if if that had been a fun fight, then maybe. But that was, I mean, probably on the on the Mount Rushmore of disappointing fights for the year, right? Like right. that fight just stunk. And uh, you just you know you weren't gonna you weren't gonna put yourself in title contention. I think off of that. And like you said, at this point. Yuri's next. Like, there's no Yuri. I mean, to your point about, you know, you you got to be somewhat exciting on top of winning, and there's no question that uh, that Yuri is a crowd pleaser. So, I, yeah, I like that fight. And look, I think given given where both of those guys are, I mean, that kind of sets up the winner of that to have that opportunity. So, yeah, man. Uh, look, Yuri Pohaska against Dominic Reyes. I mean, as as long as that fight lasted, 
we were on the edge of our seats, man. That that fight was incredible. So, uh, like you said, Yuri is a crowd pleaser, and he's going to go after it no matter what, no matter if he's getting hit or if he's the one do, uh, doing the damage. Um, Rakic's fight with Santos was the complete opposite of that. So, I mean, it was pretty obvious who was going to be next. I mean, when you hear Dana talk about Yuri and everything, you just know that um, Yuri was going to be the next guy. Yeah. So, Rakic has to take a next fight. Has to take another fight, and you know, Anthony Smith, the way he's looking, man, uh, he's got. Um, Three wins, three straight wins under his belt, and he's a guy who's been a main event staple. Uh, and I think the last fight was only three rounds. So put those guys in a five-round fight, and um, let's see who wins it this time. All right, co-main event. Speaking of crowd pleasers, Ion Kudalaba, he's a fast starter, uh, kind of has a tendency to fade late in the fight. Um, I was on the Devin Clark side of this, mostly because I felt like if Devin Clark could survive the initial storm, that he would be able to, uh, to maybe get him. In the uh, in the final two rounds, I th- I thought that uh, this was the best that that I've seen Kudalaba look. Um, he you know I, I know that there were some struggles a little bit in the third round, but he didn't look like he was gassed in the same way that we've seen him at times. Uh, also, massive shout out to Devin Clark who just took a beating in that fight and kept coming. But uh, Ion Kudalaba with the victory. Yeah, man, he he looked incredible. I think the uh, the biggest thing with that was his cardio how it was he was able to sustain it for at least you know 12 of the 15 minutes when we're used to seeing him only sustain it for five or seven and then he kind of fades so um you could tell he's been working on his cardio uh his his body looked great uh he looked like he was in shape uh and it translated into the fight you know um he seemed like he was a lot stronger than devin clark and uh, he was able to sustain that for a long period of time and devin clark just had no answer uh his shots, Kudalaba's shots, was definitely having an effect on Devin Clark. Of course, we saw what happened to his teeth. Oof. So, um, so there wasn't much that he could do. Of course, you know, uh, his dad was in his corner hyping him up and stuff. So in the third round, we got to see Devin Clark uh, kind of step it up a little bit, kind of take it to Kutalaba. But, you know, it was too little too late. You know, the damage was done. And, uh, you know, uh, he, there wasn't much that he could do to finish the fight. So, um, yeah, it was the best that, that uh, Kutalaba had looked. And it was mainly because of his cardio. Top 15 next for Kudalaba? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I think it's time to put him in back in there with the top 15 guy because I think both of them are kind of on the outside looking in uh, to the top 15. Um, yeah, put him in there with the top 15 guy, man. See if the if the cardio is still good enough to hold up with some of these uh, top guys. Give him a chance to uh, maybe avenge that loss against Misha or... Uh, look, I think a Ryan Spann matchup would be good or even a, a Johnny Walker yeah, you know, um, I had a I had a fight for Kutalaba, but I forgot who I was who I wanted to pair him up with. Um, but you know, Dominic Reyes is is, uh, is a guy who um, hasn't really fought uh, since the Peralta loss, and he's probably going to be a guy who's aiming towards some of the the lower guys uh, of that division. So I could I could definitely see uh, Dominic Reyes taking on a Kutalaba or taking like on Ryan Span or um, Devin Clark even. So, you know, Reyes has lost three in a row, so he's going to be looking down the division. So uh, any of those guys who we saw fight on the uh, on last Saturday's card could be in play. I like that fight for Reyes because it may be a guy that, that you know, with with, uh, with Kudalaba, he's currently not ranked. But when you've lost three in a row, it's still an opponent that's go- that likes to start quickly, right, and is going to be super aggressive. So there is a challenge from the opening bell for you to, to show up and respond in a big way. I, so I, that, that's probably a really good scenario, I think, for Dominic Reyes. Yeah, and we saw, I mean, for as long as that fight lasted with Yuri, he was in the fight. 
I mean, yeah. Yuri has a drain. He Yuri has a draining style and everything, and it kind of just added up. And Yuri was able to land a crazy uh, spinning elbow that Dominic didn't see coming and put him out. But um, that fight lasted like what ten minutes or so. But Dominic Reyes was hitting Yuri with some incredible shots uh, that would have put most people in that division out. Absolutely. So uh, even though uh, Dominic has lost three in a row, he's lost to John Jones, Jan Blahovich, and uh, Yuri Prohaska. So lost two of three, but yeah, yeah, two of three. He's lost to John Jones. He's lost two, uh, two of his last three fights. <laughs> Jan Blahovich and Yuri Prohaska. Uh, John Jones got his hand raised uh, on the night, so I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> fair enough. But, fair enough. But yeah, man, uh, he's lost to some of the to the top guys of the division. So Dominic Reyes is still a player in this division. It, just take the Anthony Smith route, work your way back up, and we could easily see Dominic Reyes back in title contention soon. We had women's flyweights, Ariane Lipsky over Mandy Bohm. Lipsky stops a two-fight skid, gets the victory here, Will. Yeah, like I said last week, man, uh, Lipsky, I still think she has a lot of potential, and it seemed like she really put it all together uh, against a UFC newcomer who had a lot of hype. Um, Lipsky is is really, really talented, so um, I wasn't surprised to see her uh, to see her perform so well. Um, but it's just against the, these, the ranked fighters uh, where she kind of slips, where she has to put it all together, where she has to have her uh, the cardio and everything. So um, if this is a good win. Uh, it's it's a good way to get you back um, in in the contention of fighting the top 15 girls. So uh, we'll see what's next for her. But um, this is a, definitely a, a step in the right direction for her. Speaking of top 15, that has to be next for Armand Sarukian, uh, a guy that when you go back and we talked about it last week, whatever it is, 9 of 10 or 10 of 11 or whatever it is, with that only loss being to Islam Mahashev, uh, give Sarukian somebody that has a number next to their name in that division because – Man, that division is awesome, and this is a guy that certainly is deserving of a match of that magnitude. Absolutely, man. And we were saying, you know, we were giving credit to to Yagos last week because the the betting line was so crazy. Uh, he uh, Sarukin was such a favorite that we were like, come on now, like, should he really be that much of a favorite? Yes, absolutely. He should have been that much of a favorite. He took Yagos out in what two minutes, yeah. and it didn't even seem like it was much of a struggle for him. So. Um, yeah, he definitely needs some, uh, a top 15 guy next, but I mean, even if it's someone who's just outside of the top 15, you're still getting a guy who should be a top 15 ranked fighter, right? So, yeah. um, is, uh, he's definitely a guy to, uh, keep your, keep your eye on in that division because he's got the style, uh, to really climb the ranks at a, at a fast rate, just like Islam did. Well, I'll tell you what, the final four 155ers in the top 15 right now, Brad Riddell, Armand Sarukian, Rafael Fazeev, and Tiago Moises. I mean, if you want to just pull pull names out of a hat as far as mixing and matching those four guys, I'm in. Man, just when you said Fazeev, I was like, he's there too. Like, man, yeah. you forget. Like, all, you forget some of these fighters uh, who are in the top 15. Man, I mean, could you imagine if, if it's Fazeev and Sarukian who, who are uh, end up getting, being oh. matched up? Like, um, you still have Gregor Gillespie in that division. Uh, like, so many guys. Brad Riddell, like you said. Uh, there's so many matchups, uh, good matchups everywhere in that division. And then you still have the top guys who are still um, uh, fighting for their way in that division. So the division is loaded. Um, I couldn't imagine. I, I don't know who's next for Sarukin, but I know whoever it is, it's going to be a fun fight. I, I already know whoever yes. it is. We're going we're gonna to look at it. We're going to be like, wow, that's a really fun fight. Whoever it is. It'll be, Drew yeah. Dober, It'll like, be one of those Brad that were like fight of the night candidate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Nate Maness and Tony Gravely, we were on the wrong side of this one, Will. We were uh, we were both on Gravely in this matchup. Yeah, man, you know, I thought Gravely's wrestling was going to be the difference. Um, but uh, or, uh, 
but Nate Manis, man, uh, really took it to him, got the finish. Uh, I, I've, I don't think he got the uh, performance of the night, but I thought he would have uh, because he was a he was an underdog and everything. And Gravy's looked so good, but uh, you know, props to Nate Manis, man, he got it done. And another finish for Joaquin Buckley that kicked off the main card Saturday night. Yeah, man, I, t- I said last week, man, if uh, he doesn't, if he just stops chasing that knockout and let it come, it'll come in a fight against uh, Antonio Ahoyo. So um, he didn't force it. Uh, he let it come to him. Uh, his, you know, he wasn't uh, overly aggressive uh, when, when he was throwing his shots. So he had uh, the, the gas tank to uh, continue fighting and everything. So he, he found the right shot, landed it, and got him out of there, man. Uh, great performance by Buckley. All right, any any thoughts on the prelims before we head to UFC 266? Ooh, man. Um, trying to remember if there was anything. Oh, your boy. Uh, uh, I don't really know how to Tafan say his name. Tafan Chukwe? Uh, yeah, Tafan Chukwe, man. Uh, he really took it to Mike Rodriguez, man. I thought it was going to be a closer fight, but, you know, it seemed like he was really picking his shots and he had very violent intent, but he was able to sustain that for a full 15 minutes. And he looks massive, man. So this is a scary prospect in uh, the light heavyweight division for sure. Yeah. All right. So are we in agreement that our three prelims for UFC 266 that we're going to pick are Marais Devalishvili, Hooker, Hack Parast, and Abdurakimov and Dawkins? Absolutely. Or do you have a, another sure. one in mind? I didn't have it. Those are my three, man. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let's do this. UFC 266 on Saturday night in Las Vegas. We have a 9 o'clock main card start time, which uh, I said uh, earlier in the show, uh, that's that's right in my wheelhouse. I love the late starts for the main card. Uh, the only thing that could be better is the prelims beginning at 9, if I'm being completely honest. All right. We are going to make selections on 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 fights beginning in the heavyweight division, we have Shamil Abdurakimov, 20 and 5 overall against Chris Dacus, 11 and 3 overall. Man, so um, this, one's, this one's a pretty interesting fight because we haven't seen Shamil in a, in a long time. And we've seen Chris Dacus climb up the ranks. Um, I don't know, man. When it comes to the inactivity in the heavyweight division, you kind of wonder how much that plays a factor. But in this case, uh, I feel like uh, Chris Dawkins has really shown that he's going to be a player in this division. So um, just based on uh, Shamil being so inactive, I'm going to pick Chris Dawkins. All right. I, I think this is going to be an entertaining fight for sure. By the way, I meant to mention oddshark.com has Chris Dawkins as a minus 200 favorite. Abdurakimov, I'm, I, I never get that name right. It's I don't know <laughs> why it's so hard for me to pronounce, so I'm always very careful when I say it. Plus 164, Shamil. So... There you go, the, the favorite. I am on the Dawkins side of things as well. I think we've seen so much new blood in this heavyweight division over the last calendar year, and Chris Dawkins is another one of those guys that I think is just an up-and-comer. He's getting better. He's going to be better every time he gets in the octagon with more experience, and I look for him to continue his rise in the heavyweight division. All right, the next prelim, this is the fight we talked about earlier where both guys, I mean, you just you really... Uh, hope the best for each of these guys considering the situation that they're having to deal with and fight through. But we have lightweights Dan Hooker, 20 and 10 overall against Nazrat Hakparast, 13 and 3 overall. Oddshark.com has Hooker as a minus 145 favorite, Hakparast plus 120. Now, um, I'm really curious to see what this fight looks like because with all of the 
loops, loopholes and everything that these two have had to go through uh, throughout this fight week, throughout their whole camps and stuff. I kind of don't think that they'll be fighting to a, to a uh, to a game plan. I kind of expect that this fight is just going to be fuck it. Let's just fight because yeah. um, we we made it. Like let's just go out there and just go balls to the wall, and then whatever happens happens. So um, you know, I really think that Nasrat has a really good chance to win this fight. Um, but I want to say that Dan Hooker's. I don't know, man. It's, this one's tough because naturally you want to pick Dan Hooker because he's been through it. Uh, he's seen all the best fighters. He's fought Dustin Poirier, and it was a, a crazy fight of the year contender whenever they fought. But um, just how I think this fight's going to go, I think Nasrat has a really good chance. But uh, with that being said, man, I'm, I'm going to roll with Dan Hooker. All right. Thought you were you were getting ready to do it. Uh, Dan Hooker for me as well. I, I think what the way you broke this fight down I think is absolutely true. I think this is just going to be a scrappy like who's tougher, who has more in the arsenal. And when I think of it that way, I I do feel like we've seen Dan Hooker in wars. We know that he can survive being in a war like that. We know he can hold up in a fight like that. I also think Dan Hooker's length could be a problem in this fight. And then I think just, you know, again, the, the weapons overall, I just feel like Dan Hooker has a little bit more in the arsenal to throw back uh, at Nasrat's direction. So I, this is going to be a fun fight. I think this is a candidate for fight of the night, potentially. I think it's going to be wild. But I also think, again, the urgency from Dan Hooker to not only get this fight in, but when you consider being on the wrong end of Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier, like, you know, he was he was on the verge, Will, yeah. of taking that next step in this killer division. And now it's, you know, it's a couple losses in a row, and there's a lot of urgency for him to get back in the win column. So... Dan Hooker for me as well. All right, we wrap up our prelims pick, and this is the feature prelim of the night. It's crazy because I think, especially with Hooker, Nazrat, and Marais Tavalishvili, I mean, these could be main events of fight night cards, and they don't even make the main card of this pay-per-view. Marlon Marais and Marab Tavalishvili at 135. Marlon Marais is 23-8-1 overall. Marab is 13-4. and I love this matchup. I love the styles and the... You know, Marab is obviously on his way up. Marlon is uh, has suffered a few setbacks. Like this one is fun. I, I really like what this matchup is going to give us. Yeah, you know, this one's fun, but you know, I hate this matchup for uh, uh for Marlon Marais uh because everything that uh, Marab does well, um, his awkward style, uh, his his pace, his cardio, uh, the, his cardio is such a weapon, uh, and it's and cardio is one of the things that. Marlon Marais has struggled with uh, in his career. I think that uh, his cardio is the big reason why he's been on a skid that he's been on. Because before the Cejudo fight, when he got his title shot, Marlon Marais was a killer. And he was going at people uh, so aggressively. But in that Cejudo fight, we really got to see what happens after when someone is able to take uh, Marlon's damage and uh, still come back and still be fighting. And Marlon was so exhausted uh, that I think it changed his the way that he approaches fights. Ever since that Suhudo fight, he hasn't looked the same. And I think it's because he's trying to preserve his gas tank. And it's been to his detriment. I mean, he beat uh, Jose Aldo, but that was a fight I thought he lost. Uh, I, I don't know anybody that thinks Marlon won that fight. It, exactly. Uh, Aldo is way more active. Um, and then he lost to uh, San Hagen and Font to, uh, to knockouts. Yeah. And it, it, I think it's because he's trying to preserve his gas tank. He's not being aggressive. He's letting these guys get off and land these, uh, these crazy strikes on him. So if we see uh, uh, a Marlon Marais who kind of just takes it to Marab and just says, fuck it, let me go back to being the, the guy that I was, I think he's got more of a chance. But if we see a guy who's kind of laid back and who's worried about his gas tank, 
I think this is an easy win for Marab because if, if he's trying to match cardio with Marab, he's going to lose every time. Um, Marlon, he absolutely has to finish this fight. If this goes to his decision, it's a Marab win. Uh, he has to finish this fight. Um, when Marab takes him down, Mar- Marlon does have sneaky uh, submissions, so that could be a path to victory for him. But he has to be aggressive when he's uh, when he's standing up. So, uh, with that being said, man, I, I just don't see it. I don't know if Marlon's got it in him anymore. If he does, I have to see it. But uh, I'm picking Marab in this one. I mean, this is one of those big advantage for Marlon as long as it's on the feet, and I feel like big advantage for Marab once it gets to the mat. Unfortunately, um, I, I think regardless of how the early round goes, like you said, if if Marlon's not able to really connect early, um, I, you know, even if his takedown defense is good or he's able to prevent. Marab from taking him down in that first round. Marab's pressure over the course of the entire fight, you really feel like as that thing goes on, he's going to get that thing where he wants that fight to take place. So, um, look, if you're Marlon, though, like I said with Dan Hooker, I mean, you were you were at the top, and he's lost three of four now. And, I mean, like we said, you know, Aldo got a title shot after that loss. <laughs> I mean, that tells you what right. people really thought of that outcome. So, I mean, in, in a way, you can almost look at it as, as four straight L's, like, Right. Massive urgency for Marlon Marais. So, you know, maybe this is maybe this is Tyron Woodley in his last fight where it was like, you know, you just you got to go try and get a finish immediately because if you don't, like, it, this, it might just be the end anyway. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I think there is a lot of urgency for Marlon Marais, but I, I uh, Marab's pressure, Marab's ground game to me is uh, is the difference. I'm, I'm Marab as well. Yeah, man, look, uh, if Marlon can find that that aggressive killer that he was before that uh, Cejudo fight he's got a he's got a good chance to win this thing and really uh and really kind of shock Marab because yeah you know Marab's gonna be putting pressure on him so there's chances for Marab to or for Marlon to land something crazy he just has to go out there and do it um yeah. whether he's got that in him like you said with time with the whole Tyron and Willie thing can he pull the trigger does he still have that in him uh because he used to put so much uh velocity on his on his leg kicks do you remember that like um, and Marlon was a killer. And do you yeah. remember what he did to Aljo? Uh, basically, yeah. uh, laid him out and uh, made him leave on a stretcher. He was knocked out for minutes. It was a yeah. scary, very scary knockout. So Marlon ha- has killer in him, but can he bring it out? That's a it's a huge question. Yeah. We're going to see what happens. I think your original statement about this fight is true. I think this is just the I think it's the worst possible matchup for Marlon of of you know anybody that's currently in you know not above him in the in the rankings. Um, there are there are guys that you know maybe more dangerous, but I think stylistically match up better for Marlon and you know obviously the Rob Fawn and, and Sanhagen are as good as there is in that division standing up right now I mean so it you Absolutely. know on one hand I think you you look at Marlon you're like he's lost two in a row you know is is there a is his spot in jeopardy if he loses a third and it's it's four and five fights you know I think sometimes you also have to consider like he lost to Rob Font as Rob Font is is hitting his stride right like hitting his peak same thing for Sanhagen like those dudes right now are hitting their peak, and while I still think Marlon is extremely good, I don't think we think that he's, like, at the peak right now. So, um, yeah, Marab, Marab, I think, is just a, a very tough, stylistic fight for Marlon today. Man, one, one more thing on this on this fight. I'm, I feel really bad for Marlon Marais, man, because you're, you are minutes away from becoming champion. I mean, Cejudo is in really bad shape. Yeah. And, and you lose, you basically lose to Aldo, you lose to Sanhagen, you lose to Font. How good is this division? Because oh, it's now, sick. because now you're like, okay, maybe I should move down in the rankings. But then you you have Marab there. Like <laughs> this division is so loaded that I mean, there's no like tune-up fights to get you back. I mean, this fight is a bad matchup for Marlon Marais, and I don't know what he's ranked. He's like six or seven, and uh, Marab is like number eleven. Yeah. I mean, 
anywhere you go, there's a tough matchup for you. So this division is completely stacked. Yeah, I, I mean, there's you could go 10 deep probably that aren't ranked, and they are killer matchups. Absolutely. I mean, Song Yudong, right? Uh, Casey Kinney, Kenny. Sean O'Malley, Adrian Yanez. Randy Costa. Randy Costa, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Ricky Simone. Like this, uh, yeah, this division is Who, stupid. Who's the kid that uh, got that big knockout on the last pay-per-view card? Um, 265. Uh, shoot. Uh, what is his name? Miles John. Oh, Miles John. Good <laughs> Lord, yes. What? Yeah, could you imagine him fighting uh, Marlon Moraes right. right now? Like, right. He's not even ranked. Like, th- this division is yeah. so crazy stacked. And, like like I said, like I, I don't think Marlon's done by any means, but we've seen the UFC start cutting ties with some guys that have been staples in some of these divisions that look like they're on the, the slide that have put together some losing streaks. And I, I don't know what his contract situation is, or I, I'm not even going to pretend to know what the UFC thinks about him. I, my worry, though, as just a fan of the sport and seeing multiple guys in different divisions that, you know, have been at the top and then lose three or four in a row. Like it's been, all right, time to go. So I don't know. I'm not saying that's going to happen or even alluding to the fact that the UFC would consider that. I'm just saying that would be my worry as a UFC fan seeing the position Marlon's in. For sure. But if I'm Marlon, the worst thing that that you can do is go out there and have a boring fight. Right. We're, we're right. used to seeing Marlon in good fights. He's just on a skid, and maybe his mind, he needs to get out of his own head because when he's that killer, he's a very fun fighter. So if he can get out of his own head and be a fun fighter, I mean, I'm sure that the the UFC brass will be like, okay, Marlon's back. We can't can't do anything with him. We can't cut him or anything. Uh, Marlon's still a a really talented fighter, but he just has to get out of his own head. All right, we start UFC 266 main card pay-per-view portion of this card with... Women's uh, flyweights. We have Jessica Andrade, twenty-one and nine overall. Cynthia Calvillo, nine-two and one overall. Oddshark.com has Andrade as a minus two sixty-five favorite. Calvillo plus two ten. Uh, look, man. Um, you know, Calvillo was really close to getting a title a title shot. She beat uh, Jessica I, and then she was going to fight Lauren Murphy, but had to pull out. She fought Chukagian and lost. Um. I just think with what uh, with all the things that Calvillo does well, uh, Andrade is just better. But not only that, uh, Andrade is is much bigger. She's much stronger and uh, more powerful. So um, I think this is a bad matchup for Calvillo. I think she's going to struggle. Uh, she's she's very very tough, but um, I think Andrade is just going to be too much for her. Um, these are the fights that we that we normally see Andrade really really do well uh, and stylistic. Um, stylistically friendly type matchup. So I think this yeah. is one of those. And I think Andrade will get it done. I really like her at 125 too, as opposed to, uh, I guess she's been at 125, 115, right? Not 125, 135. You're talking about uh, Andrade yeah. or uh, Calvio? has been at all of them. All of them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I like her at 125 though. I think that's, that's her sweet spot. Yeah, and this... She fought Valentina, uh, and you know Valentina is a different type of, of <laughs> you know, a different yeah. type of fighter. Yeah. So we really can't judge what Andrade is at this weight division off of that fight. If you want to see how how good that Andrade could be or could be, I mean, just look at her first fight at 125. What she did to Caitlin Chukagian. She came at her with these body shots and completely folded her. Uh, Shevchenko is one of the best um, female fighters of all time, and you know Andrade. Uh, just yeah. didn't really have it. You know, maybe it, it would be different in a rematch when she gets more in tune with fighting at flyweight because, you know, Chukagian fight didn't last that long. 
And, you know, Valentina's fight didn't really last that long. So, I mean, I think if she fights more at 125, the, the look of a fight with uh, Valentina could be a little different. But, um, yeah, you know, Valentina's up here. She's way at the top yeah. of, the, of the food chain. And then you got Chukagan and Andrade, who are just kind of like the best of the rest. Well, so Andrade is we'll see. in some ways dependent on her physicality, and that does not exist against Valentina Shevchenko in that, that specific matchup, right? Like, so it's... It's just not there. It's invisible in that matchup. So, yeah, that's a tough one. But, I, yeah, I completely agree. All right, we have uh, heavyweights Curtis Blades. We have top 10 heavyweights, Will. Curtis Blades, 14-3 and three overall. Jarzinho Rosenstrike, 12-2 and two overall. Oddshark.com has Blades as a big favorite, minus 325. Rosenstrike, plus 250. Now, if, if Curtis Blades fights this fight smart, this is a fight that um, he can win. He has a very clear path to victory. The problem is Curtis Blades doesn't always follow the, the correct game plan. Like uh, with Derek Lewis, um, I mean, he just became so predictable when he was going to shoot. And a lot of that had to do with Derek Lewis being so labored back and, you know, not really attacking. So Curtis Blades had to find his way in. But Derek Lewis just timed it well, you know, and it ended the way it ended. But uh, if Curtis Blades... You know, just puts it all together. This is a fight that he can win. And Jarzinho, I don't think, will have the same game plan that Derek Lewis had. Um, I think uh, Jarzinho's fight with Cyril Gaon, how he was very laid back and everything, he didn't like how that how that looked. And we saw a very aggressive Jarzinho against uh, Augusto Sakai, and he got him out of there in one round. I expect to see uh, an aggressive Jarzinho in this fight, and I think that's going to work in the favor of Curtis Blades. It's going to allow him to be able to take this fight where it needs to be. So um, I'm picking Blades in this one, uh, but Jarzinho can definitely land something crazy and uh, and get uh, Curtis Blades out of there. Interesting, interesting. I'm picking Curtis Blades as well, but I, I, I disagree on the fight we're going to see. I think that he's going to carbon copy the Derek Lewis path because I don't. Th- he literally has no chance, Will, if he gets taken down, right? Like Curtis Blades is going to completely smother him on the ground. I don't think he wants to allow that to happen. I think he does exactly what Derek Lewis did. I think he does exactly what he did against Cyril Gunn. And if that's a boring fight, so be it. But I think he's going to sit back, wait for a big shot if it presents itself, and hopefully for him stay out of the grasp of Curtis Blades. Because like, I think if he gets reckless early, I mean, yes, the knockout potential is there, but if you miss... Like, it's over. He, if Curtis Blades gets his hand on, on Jarzinho Rosenstrike, he's going to the ground. He's not getting back up. Yeah, that that's true. Um, but I, I tend to just wonder because, you know, when Jarzinho fought Cyril Gaon, you know, he laid back and basically just watched Cyril Gaon just cruise to a victory. Yeah. So I think if Jarzinho has anything to say about it this time, he's going to want to at least do something in a fight um, of this magnitude. He wants to at least put a, put his stamp on it, you know, uh, at least make it seem like he tried because against Cyril Gaon, it didn't really seem like there was anything there from uh, Jarzinho. Um, and then when he fought Overeem, Overeem w- was winning most of the fight and then Jarzinho was able to land something crazy at the end. So maybe he's banking on that. But I just expect to see um, maybe a, not a overly aggressive Jarzinho, but at least um, someone who's going to move forward and not be labor back. But I could be completely wrong. He could take that Derrick Lewis approach because it yeah. worked like a charm. So we'll see, man. All right. I've been dying to hear your thoughts on our next fight. We have Robbie Lawler. We have Nick Diaz. Uh, I was about to say in a welterweight matchup, but this is going to be a middleweight matchup, Will. Sounds like uh, they've just decided we're not going to make the weight here, so let's just move it up and uh, make sure everybody is comfortable for what's going to be <laughs> or we hope is going to be a five-round war 
for Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. Um, I mean, I can say so many things about both of these guys. I've already talked about my experience with Nick Diaz. Uh, Robbie Lawler is one of my favorites of all times. I just, he, I feel like he's just put on so many incredible shows uh, where you just have nothing but respect for what he does in the octagon. Uh, Robbie Lawler is 28 and 15 overall. I think he's lost five of his last six for ruthless Robbie Lawler. Nick Diaz is 26 and nine overall. Nick Diaz last fight in the octagon was in March of 2013. Before that, it had been a year, February of 2012. So it's been a while for Nick Diaz. Will Brewer, five round, Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz. What do you think? Man, look, um, everybody loves Nick Diaz. Uh, You know, a lot of people, a lot of the newer fans may not know um, much about Nick Diaz because, you know, everyone knows Nate Diaz. But before years ago, um, it was Nick Diaz who was the star. It was Nick Diaz who was the champion. Um, everyone knew uh, uh, Nick Diaz was going to say something crazy and his fights was going to back it up. In the in the octagon, he does these antics and it's always fun uh, when Nick Diaz, whether it's a stare down, whether it's the fight, it's always entertaining to see Nick Diaz. Um welterweight contender former welterweight champion of strike force uh you know i can go on and on and on about nick diaz but i gotta say man the guy's been gone for six seven years right we haven't seen what he even looks like um he's been gone for so long he's gonna be in shape i'll say that he's gonna be in shape um because those guys run marathons and so this is a five round um non-title fight so as long as this fight's going, uh, he's going to be in shape. So, but what how, what does this look like now in 2021? What does a Nick yeah. Diaz fight look like now? I know what I'm getting from Robbie. Um, Robbie, he may be on a on a four or five fight skid, but let me tell you, when when Robbie's fighting a, a good stylistic matchup, he'll open up. Like we, yeah. we'll see a, a a Robbie who's vicious, violent, like he was against Roy McDonald, like he was against Carlos Condit. We haven't got to see that lately because. He's fighting guys who are um, very active and who want to take him down for the most part. So he's not worried about landing crazy shots. He's worried about staying on his feet. So he's fought in some really, really tough stylistic matchups for himself. But a fight with Nick Diaz is right up his alley. And we've seen him. uh, We've seen that he still has the violence in him because you remember what he did to Ben Askren. (laughs) But whenever Ben Askren got him down, it was a different fight. This fight's not going to the ground. Right. So I've seen Robbie Lawler recently uh, i mean i think his last fight was what like seven eight months ago it was the magma fight seen, yeah yeah and i haven't seen nick diaz in years right so i'm way more confident in picking robbie lava than i would be in putting any type of pick on on nick diaz it, i mean if nick diaz comes back and he looks the same and he's getting knockouts and stuff great I, I just have to see yeah. it, man. Uh, my money's on Robbie. All right. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention Robbie Lawler minus 115, Nick Diaz minus 105. Uh, which is surprising. <laughs> I thought Lawler would be a pretty big favorite, like you said, because we've seen him in the octagon. Like I, Magny neutralized him by by the ground. I will forever be hurt by the the Askren loss for Robbie Lawler, uh, yeah. and that's not taking anything away from from what Askren can do on the ground. But man, that, I was just like, not Ben Askren. Come on, right? <laughs> uh, but you know, it's styles make fights, right? And and this is going to be a stand up war. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've just we've seen Robbie Lawler in the octagon. Nonstop, continue to fight, continue to train. Uh, yeah, I, I would just, I would have a hard time. Here's, here's what I know though. 
Nick Diaz is going to show up, and Nick, yeah. Nick Diaz won't quit. I mean, right? Just it's it's basically the same like Nate Diaz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're basically they're practically the same type of fighter. Um, these guys are ultra tough. Um, they love to box. Um, they're never going to quit. Um, there's nothing you have to literally knock them out for them to to get out of this fight. Yeah. Um, of course, they're not going to view a decision as a loss. So, uh, but I think the way that the, that this fight goes um, with Robbie and Nick, it's it's going to be fireworks for as long as it as it lasts. Yeah. Um, but you know, like look at listen to the murderer's row that Robbie's had to fight. He's fought Tyron Woodley, lost the title to him. Then he lost to RDA, lost to Ben Askren, lost to Kobe Covington, lost to um, Neil Magny. Yeah. Like, those are some really, really tough fighters in that division. And Nick Diaz hasn't been around for years. So I'm, even though he's he's been on the skid, I'm not for one second have I thought, like, oh, man, Robbie doesn't have it anymore. And I every one of those guys has a good ground game or, if nothing else, a significantly better ground game than Robbie, right? Exactly, and, that, and that's been what it has. That's been what it's been for all these fights. It's just been a the way that these guys have been able to mix it up. And Nick Diaz isn't mixing anything up. We know what's yeah. going to happen with Nick Diaz. He's coming at you uh, with his hands up, and he's going to taunt you and all and all different types of stuff. When Robbie was young in their first fight, he uh, succumbed to that. Um, he was uh, playing the antics with Nick Diaz, and he ended up getting knocked out. Uh, I think we see a, ve- a a more smarter. He's a guy who's been through through it all he's been through the wars he's been uh, in the championship fights these moments aren't going to be too big for Robbie so all these signs are pointing towards another Robbie win or uh, a Robbie win for me by the way that fight took place in April of 2004 will what were you doing in 2004 man 2004 I was like in the fourth grade <laughs> there you go there you go that's how long ago that fight was fourth grade will Brewer learning about math yeah, yeah. Thick, thick glasses and a, and a chubby belly. That, nice. that was me back in the nice. day. <laughs> All right, our co-main event. Uh, we have a title on the line. We have Valentina Shevchenko, as we mentioned earlier. Lauren Murphy. Valentina is 21-3 and three overall. Lauren Murphy, 15-4 and four overall. Before I give this out, have you seen the odds for this fight? No. Do you want to guess what the odds are for this fight? trying to remember what Amanda Nunes was for uh, that Megan Anderson fight. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say uh, minus 1,000 for, uh, for Shevchenko. Minus 1,500. Oh, my God. For Valentina <laughs> Shevchenko, plus 750 for Lauren, Lauren Murphy. Are you going to call your shot, Will? Are you going to call for the miracle of all miracles? No, uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, look, man, Lauren Murphy... Uh, I just want to get this out of, out of the way before I completely just praise Valentina. You know, Lauren Murphy, to, to, to basically start her UFC career, it's kind of like the Jan Blachowicz story. She started her career um, like two and four, two and five, uh, almost got cut, and then uh, just came back, uh, stayed with it, and then she's reeled off uh, five in a row. Um, these, these decisions have been close, but um, she's just always found a way uh, to just do just enough to win it. But doing just enough against some of these flyweight fighters, it's not yeah. even close to being enough to find the greatest, one of the greatest women's fighters of all time. Um, I, I truly think it's going to take someone who has the power to just knock her out and land the shot. But, because if not, you're not beating her in, uh, in a decision. You're not going to submit her. Um, her ground game is too good. So, I, you know, I don't see it, man. Um, Laura Murphy, she's going to be tough. Um, but I don't, I don't see her putting Valentina in, in any bad situations. You know, right. I think she's just going to show how she's going to show how tough she is. But, um, 
at the end of the day, it's a Valentino win for me. Yeah, same here. I, I, I don't really have anything to add beyond what you said. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, minus 1,500 kind of speaks for yeah. itself. All right, Absolutely. our main event, UFC 266. We have the featherweight title on the line. Will, it's also the finale for Tough, right? We got to watch these guys coach this season of the Ultimate Fighter. And now, finally, they square off in the octagon. It is the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, 22-1 and overall. The challenger, Brian Ortega, 15-1 and overall. Oddshark.com has Volkanovsky as a minus-175 favorite, plus-145 for Brian Ortega. Man, um, Brian Ortega looked very, very good in his last fight with uh, with the Korean Zombie. It was a completely different Brian Ortega than what we've what we're, what we're used to seeing. His striking looked like it it went up like three levels. Um, and then we know uh, the crazy jujitsu that he has. So uh, Brian Ortega is very, very dangerous. But you know Volkanovski, man, I think his ability to control fights, dictate where they go, um, his toughness, and and all that. Um, you know, for, for me, when I, when I think about Volkanovski and I, and I know that he, he's a guy who beat Jose Aldo in a three round fight when, when really, I don't really think that there's anybody else that can beat Jose Aldo, Jose Aldo in a three round fight. We see what Jose Aldo can do in, in the bantamweight division uh, in three round fights. He's basically unbeatable, but Volkanovski is a guy who, uh, who beat him in a three round fight. That doesn't happen often. Yeah. And he's also a guy who beat Max Holloway. Um, at his own game in the first fight, and then a guy who was down uh, two rounds for sure against Max Holloway in their second fight and came back and got uh, a, the judges nod. So Volkanovski's tough. Um, he, he, he can make adjustments. Um, he's pretty solid everywhere. Um, but his IQ and his toughness are, are things that, you, that he has an advantage over most people on. Uh, I think... This is a Volkanovski win unless he just finds himself in a t- in a bad situation by Ortega, it, and it could happen. You know, if if Volkanovski takes this to the ground, Ortega is a, is is a black belt, like a super black belt. So like yeah. any position uh, that Volkanovski is in, Ortega can get a submission. So he's got to be careful. And then with, with Ortega's improved striking, uh, we've seen we saw him drop uh, Zombie a few times, and we know that Volkanovski has been dropped a few times as well. So um, I think if um, if this fight is to be finished, I think it's a it's an Ortega finish, but um, I'm thinking that it's going to go to a decision. I think it's going to be a fun fight, but I'm uh, going uh, Volkanovski to retain. All right. I like it. I've been really torn on this one. I think this is a good matchup, and I think, obviously, Brian Ortega is not Max Holloway, but he brings a different arsenal than Max Holloway does. I, I think that... The threat on the ground and the submission threat is a very real thing in this matchup. Um, I think their reach is about the same, but Brian Ortega, a couple inches taller. Um, I'll be curious to see, you know, if if he gets him to the ground, how much that would be beneficial in his favor. Um, Everything you said about Volkanovski is true. And while I thought Brian Ortega looked terrific against Korean Zombie in the stand-up, you know, that was kind of a question for us after the Max fight. Um, If it's standing up, I do think it's it's advantage Volkanovski. But I... I, T-City, sneaky in uh, in the submission realm of this uh, of this matchup. So I'm going to go on the other side. I think we've been on the same side of every single fight for eight str- or seven straight fights. This is the main event. This is the big one. This is the one that I have actually been conflicted about the most anyway. And while I was, I probably was leaning a little bit toward Volkanovski. I don't hate Ortega in this spot. And I think there's a very real chance that, uh, that Brian Ortega is the champion on Saturday night. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull the trigger. We're going to be on the opposite side of the main event of UFC 266. Give me 
Brian T. City Ortega. Yeah, there's a very real possibility that, that it could happen. Like you said, Ortega is no Max Holloway, but I do think that Ortega's finishing ability is um, is more elevated than Max's. So um, the margin of error for Volkanovski is is very slim. Uh, so as long as this fight's standing, I think uh, Volkanovski can dictate where it goes. Um, he has good distance, and he's going to be the more powerful guy but um, and probably the more technical guy on the feet. Um, but if this fight ever goes to the ground, um, he's going to be at a disadvantage. I mean, Volkanovski's going to be the one that's going to be that that would initiate a takedown. But if he were to do that, I mean, the the submission threat is just at an all time high, kind of very similar to Charles Oliveira. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it could happen, man. But you know, I'm I'm confident in uh, the way that um, Volkanovski can manage where the fight takes place. Um, to see him do that against Max twice. Uh, even though I don't, I don't think he won the second fight. But to see him uh, rebound uh, in the way that he did after two rounds of just Max shutting him out, and then in their first fight, he he basically just beat Max out of his own game and never let him get started. So um, Volkanovski is a champion, um, and we don't give him enough credit, probably because for sure he did he he did beat Max, and a lot of people think that he didn't. So I think we kind of take away from Volkanovski how good that he is because everyone loves Max so much. But let's not let's not forget, man. Like Volkanovski's won, I think, twenty fights in a row. Yeah. So he is no he is no slouch. Um, we should appreciate him a lot more. Um, we saw what Max did to Calvin Cater, but we haven't yeah. seen Max do that to Volkanovski not once. So right. Um, yeah, we should pre- appreciate Volkanovski more. Um, but this is a tough matchup for sure. Um, and I'm excited to see how how it all plays out, man. I mean, Max put Ortega out for two years, right? I mean, I, I think that there was a canceled fight somewhere along the way in that that time period, but Ortega was gone, it seemed like forever after that Max fight. And yeah, you're right. Look, I, regardless of how people feel about the second fight between Volkanovski and Max, and I, I'll say this: on the night of the fight, watching it live, I think I scored it for Max, but I remember in that third round, like I gave it to Max, but it was one of those where I was like, man. I don't know. I kind of felt like maybe maybe Volkanovski got that one. When I rewatched it, I I was like, you know what? I think he did get it. And I felt I felt better about Volkanovski winning that on the rewatch than I did the night that it happened. But if you want to go back to even regardless of how you, how you feel about that one, I don't think there's any any dispute about the first one. Like that one for me was solidly Volkanovski. So yeah, at I'm, worst you have to admit that the second one was minimum close enough that it could have gone either way, and the first one I I don't even I it, that was Volkanovski. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Volkanovski for sure won that first fight. Like Max never never got started in, the, in that fight. We know when he does get started, it's it comes in bunches, five, six, seven, eight punch combinations. But that never he never got started because uh, Volkanovski was chopping at his legs after like any combination that that Max would land. Yeah. So it seemed like Max would have to restart and and, and do it all over again. And he did that basically the whole fight. Uh, that was a clear win for Volkanovski that first fight. And then the second one, like you said, Max. Max took off, got off to a great start in the first two rounds, but the last three rounds, Volkanovski was ending those rounds in a very good spot with his wrestling and stuff. So I wasn't always confident that uh, Max had won any of those last three rounds. They were all razor, they were all close, and you could make a case that um, Max won the fight, but you could also make a case that Volkanovski won the fight. Um, I don't think it's as easy as people are making it out to be that Max won. So um, Volkanovski is a very deserving champion is basically what we're trying to say. Um, Very worthy champion. And we should uh, definitely appreciate him more. Um, Of course. I mean, we all love Max. We all love. Uh, Yeah, I was about to say we all love Max. And I think the love for Max also in some way diminishes 
Volkanovsky because look, I I'll, I was going for Max. I wanted Max to win, yes, and maybe absolutely. that played a role in how in in real time I evaluated that third round. But like I said, after the fact, when I rewatched it, I I I, I did think he won the fight. Exactly. You know, Max is a superstar. You know, who doesn't like Max, Max Holloway, right? Yeah, I was just about to say, nobody like, dislikes Max. Holloway. So everyone loves him so much that they're just like, ugh, this Volkanovski yeah. motherfucker coming <laughs> messing stuff up. So. I mean, that, that's why people don't like Volkanovski or don't appreciate him as much, just yeah. because everyone loves Max and think that he should be the champion. So um, now that Max is out of the equation, at least for now, uh, I think people will get to appreciate what Volkanovski brings to the table. But with that being said, I mean, Brian Ortega is a, is a star in his own right. I mean, a lot of there's a lot of Brian Ortega fans out there. Uh, so, I mean, this is a very fun matchup, man. Um, it's it's going to be good to see Volkanovski fight someone different than Max because he's had to do that for since 2019. It's been Volkanovski Max. So it's uh it's gonna be a fresh matchup, really good matchup. Uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And it's long overdue for this division to to finally be able to move on as well. Well, fun as always, my friend. I love a pay per view week. I love the pay per view energy of uh, of a week like this. And uh, obviously, like when we get to weigh ins and ceremonial weigh ins and all that, it just elevates even more. I cannot wait for Saturday, my friend. Yeah, man, it's going to be epic. Um, it's going to be a, the start to four great pay-per-view months. Um, I can't wait for it, man. This is just the beginning. Um, UFC 266, special from top to bottom. Uh, we're in for a great night of fights, man. I can't wait. All right, that is Will Brewer. I am Colby Daniels, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Podcast is over.